Hey everyone, Anthony Franzese here. Man, do I have do I have something fun for you guys? You know, we're trying to we're trying to spice things up a little bit over here on the podcast. So this week we have Sarah Berkeley, who is the AVP of Wellbeing and Engagement and NFP. And then next week we're gonna have her husband on to share his perspective. He's a surgeon, as you can imagine. He can't work from home. He's a pretty busy guy. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I think it's going to be fun to hear both sides of the story, and uh, we'll see how it goes. They have two kids, and uh, they're both kind of sharing their perspective on how they manage career and and family life, and who's re- responsible for what. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll see. I appreciate you listening. If you would click the follow button, leave me a rating. That'd mean the world to me. It's the best way to help grow the podcast. Anyway, on to the show. <laughs> To the Successful Working Parents Podcast, the podcast where we talk to successful working parents. The title is pending, but my guest today is very real. She is the Assistant Vice President of Wellbeing and Engagement at NFP, and she's a mother of two. Ladies and gentlemen, Sarah Berkeley. Sarah, welcome to the show. Hi, Anthony. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. So we usually start off with just a quick background on your career, if you'd share that. Yeah, sure. I started after college. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I thought maybe I wanted to do event like corporate event planning. So I started working at this company where I planned conferences in healthcare and I knew nothing about healthcare at the time. Um, And I just, I learned a lot in planning these conferences. Um, A lot of them were about on-site health clinics and corporate wellness. um, And that's just sort of where I learned more about the topic. And yeah, in my personal life, I was always sort of a healthy person and, and was trying to think, okay, what can I do what can I take from my personal life that I enjoy and how can I turn that into a job and learning more about this like corporate wellness field, it just seemed to be a great fit. So um, I remember talking to a speaker at one of my events asking, you know, how did he get into it? He was a very senior person at a really large company doing well-being. And he suggested that I get a master's in public health. I had never heard of public health. I didn't even know what that was at the time. So I Googled it. um, And it just, it really did align with a lot of the things I was interested in. So I went back to school. I got a master's in public health. Um, I started working while I was in grad school. I worked at Con Ed in their occupational health department doing employee wellness programs for them. And then I worked afterwards, I worked at a company called Health Advocate as an employee wellness specialist. Um, and then I currently now I'm at NFP. I've been here for about eight and a half years. And yeah, I'm the AVP of Wellbeing and Engagement. So I run our Northeast region's well-being practice. Um, and it's been it's been great. <laughs> yeah, and I was trying to think about when you and I first met. I think it was you were at NFP, but it had just maybe been the beginning of your time there. Yeah, I think it was in the early stages and you were not, you have switched jobs a few times since then, I think. But I remember we got coffee at a coffee shop in the city. Yeah. Near where, where the office was. Um, yeah, that was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny your story because that's kind of how I got into corporate health as well. Just like wanting to do something that was more aligned with what I was interested in. And I like the idea of trying to help people be healthy while working all day. And I thought that was interesting. And so I was like, oh, let me try and help other people do that. And so that's how I got there. Yeah, exactly. So tell us a little bit about your role as a mom. I'm essentially the default parent. My husband is wonderful and he's a great dad, but he is a surgeon. And so he has a really busy, not flexible schedule, work schedule. So 
Um, you know, when things come up with the kids, somebody's sick, they don't have school, there's a doctor's appointment, whatever it is, you know, I'm always the one who needs to kind of rearrange my schedule, cancel meetings, move things around, call in from the car, whatever it is to try to make it work. Um, so, you know, I, I'm trying, I try to be very active with my kids, um, and be there as much as I can while also, you know, trying to be, be there for my job too. And it's not always easy. Um, so yeah, I would say that's sort of my role, uh, in this, in this household. And my husband does as much as he can. And when he's home, he's does every, like everything, but you know, he's just can't always be home. And he certainly really can't change his schedule last minute. I mean, he's booking out surgeries and clinics and months and months out. And so, you know, I think, not that my job isn't important. I, I do think it's important, but I'm very lucky that I have a flexible workplace and that I can change things around and people are pretty understanding. Um, and he, you know, he can't really cancel on patients. Like, you know, there are people who have prepped for surgery and haven't eaten. And then, so it's not easy for him to cancel on, you know, somebody's cancer surgery. <laughs> so what kind of surgeon is he? He's a colorectal surgeon. Okay. Yeah. That seems pretty pretty important. I think it's probably for the best. Probably for the best. <laughs> yeah. And he does colonoscopies. And so, you know, people have prepped for the colonoscopies and you don't, <laughs> that would stink if you were getting ready for a colonoscopy and, you know, your doctor canceled or, and same thing for a surgery that you've been waiting for. Um, and there are obviously also, you know, emergencies that come up. So yeah, he just can't be flexible, um, unfortunately, but, you know, does his best. So your kids are one and three and a half, right? Exactly. Yeah. So they're two years apart. Um, Almost three and a half, almost one and a half. Yeah. So it's chaos. So how was the jump from one to two? You know, it's such a different experience having two because with the first one, you know, nursing was sort of like this quiet time and it was peaceful and relaxing. And then, you know, when the kids, when, when the baby's asleep, you have time, you have so much downtime in the beginning because they sleep all the time. And just that totally, both of those things go away because, I'm trying to nurse and sure, if somebody else, if my husband's home or someone else is around, they can kind of entertain the toddler, but sometimes it's just me and the toddler's climbing on top of me while I'm trying to nurse or, you know, and then if, when the baby's asleep, you know, you have this other kid that you have to sort of run around with and entertain and you're exhausted. So it's, it's just, you really don't have as much downtime as you did with the first. And I think when you're in it with just one, you don't even realize sort of how, I don't want to say easy because it's not easy. And especially when you're in it, it doesn't feel easy. But to me, the, the toddler has been harder than the, the baby. And now I have two toddlers, which is crazy. But at the beginning, the toddler, in my opinion, was harder than the newborn. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we have a newborn. And so I keep saying to my wife, like, could you imagine if there was like a two-year-old or a two-and-a-half-year-old running around right now while we're doing this? Yeah, yeah, to your point, it, it is hard. It's obviously very hard. It, it's manageable. We're we're managing it, but it's hard to think about what it would be like if there was a two year old, and maybe you're like, maybe even a four year old as well. Like two kids running around while you're doing this with a newborn. It's it's really hard to fathom at this point. Yeah, and now they're getting to the point where they, you know, they are interacting with each other a little bit more. The the baby's fifteen months. He's not a baby anymore. Um, so you know, they can play together a little bit, but they definitely especially the older one, the toddler or the older toddler uh, doesn't realize how rough he can be. And so he thinks he's kind of giving a hug, but really it's just like an arm around the the little one's throat and like doesn't realize. So I feel like I'm a referee, honestly, Um, just making sure that they're not hurting each other. But it, it really has become so sweet. They play together 
Um, they laugh with each other, you know, they'd make it's so that is very cute. Um, so I think we're starting, I'm hoping to get to more of a sweet spot where they can start to sort of play on their own, but they definitely still need an adult around to make sure they don't hurt each other by accident. So you're both back to work full time, right? So what are you doing? Are you doing daycare or are you doing a nanny? Yeah. So I, you know, like I said, I have a flexible job, so I work from home most of the time. Um, I do go into an office one or two days a week, but yeah, we have, a nanny. We're very lucky. That's obviously a privilege to have a nanny. So we do have a nanny. My older one does go to school. He goes five days a week from nine to one. So he's out of the house for like half the day. Um, and then, you know, af- in the afternoons, the nanny's with both the kids. So does your husband's schedule change each week or like, are you able to actually plan anything or is it really, it's different week to week. So he can't do the same thing every week with you. Or for you. So he, when he know if he knows he's going to be in the OR operating, like, and he knows that in advance, obviously. So we know that those are days that I can't really count on him being around. Because if he's if his if everything goes well and he can be home at a great, at normal time, wonderful. But I can't rely on it. So he's not in the OR on the same days every week. I, that was the plan originally um, when he first started. He was supposed to have certain OR days, but now he's gotten busier, so he's kind of filling in time when he can to use the OR. Um, On days where he's just either admin, which is just an administrative day where he just gets to catch up on things, that's easy um, for him. He can be around more. But again, that, you know, that's not happening every week and it doesn't happen on the same day each week. So he knows sort of in advance, but it's not the same each week exactly. Yeah. And I mean, there's no work from home, right? No. I mean... Not really. Like sometimes on his ad, no matter what, he has to go in in the mornings and round on his patients and check in on everyone. Um, I'd say sometimes after that, there's occasionally times when he could like come home and maybe make calls from home. But that's extremely, extremely rare when he's able to do that. So, you know, this morning he had an admin day. So he had a 7 a.m. call, which he was able to take from home. And then he could take my my older one to school. And so, you know, he takes him to school when he can, but my son's been in school for over a year and I think he's taking him to school less than 10 times because um, he's usually gone even before any of us wake up. Yeah, that makes sense. So was it what you had expected or did you have to change your plan and change your scheduling around more than you thought you would given the work that you both do? Well, obviously I knew what I was signing up for when I married a doctor. So, you know, it's a little it's weird because I, I didn't have my first kid until very early COVID. So I've never known a life or a time when I would have had to go into the office five days a week anyway. So it's not like I had to make that shift because I always started when, since having kids, I've always been remote or at least mainly remote. Um, so in a way that was easy, that was great, it, you know, and it was really difficult for me to understand how people did it when they had to also go into the office every single, when both parents have to go into an office every single day, full day. I I just, and to me, I'm like, I can't even believe families managed that. And, and they still are obviously in some cases. And I, that I can't manage. So I'm, so I didn't really have to change anything because that was kind of the the world we were in when I had kids anyway, was like already the flexibility was sort of built in and I'm grateful for that. Um, But it's also not easy. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm home a lot. I'm home all the time. I feel like I'm with my kids all the time, which is fantastic. Um, But I'm also a social person. I feel isolated a lot and working from home is wonderful, but it's also isolating. And so I, I like to be able to talk to other adults and get out of my house. And so I'm happy that I have the option to go into an office a couple of days a week if I can and if I want. Um, for me, that's the perfect balance. I would go crazy without that, I think. 
So is that your main way of dealing with that isolation to just, okay, like this day, I'm actually going to go into the office and talk to some adults? Yeah, I, I try to make it a priority to go in at least one day a week, sometimes two. But honestly, that like sometimes changes last minute, especially since my older one's been in school, he gets sick more often. There's doctor's appointments, like there's things that so I do have to sometimes cancel that. But um, and sometimes our nanny gets sick. And then that's that falls on me too to just be home with the kids. So. So yes, I do make my a, a huge effort to go in at least one to two days a week. And then I also try to schedule because during the workday, I have childcare. So during that time, I do try to schedule in my calendar time for myself at least one or two times a week. So whether that's lunch with a friend, I mean, I take my dog out for a walk. Um, if I can do a longer walk, I will. Um, I try to schedule in a workout class one or two days a week um, where I actually go in person now to exercise and I enjoy that. So, so yeah, I try to, and I have to schedule it into my calendar. I like that's I can't do it if it's not written down in my calendar, then it just everything else fills up. So, um, so yeah, I try my best to use the calendar to schedule time for myself and to schedule time for even just work. I mean, it's so weird. Now I feel like work is quote vacation. <laughs> like I never thought I'd feel that way where I'm like, Oh, I can't wait for work to start up again on Monday. But you know, the weekends are fun, but they're hectic and they're exhausting and they're amazing. But you know, when I'm working, I have a desk job. I work at a computer. At least I can sit down and take take a few minutes. So, um, so it, yeah, I kind of like look forward to work now. And I never thought I would really say that. <laughs> yeah, there's there's worse things to be looking forward to, I suppose, than yeah. <laughs> going to work. Speaking of work, you are a well-being and health consultant. I assume health being healthy is an important part of your life. So, how are you making sure that you be that after you became a mom, you're able to still prioritize this. And is there, any, is there anything that you've learned and they've been able to bring to your consulting practice since? Yeah. So I definitely need to practice what I preach. You know, I always talk to friends, to clients about the importance of not just for themselves as individuals, but, you know, for their employees. I, I have a public health background, so I look at organizations and employee populations. So, you know, how do we make it so that employees feel comfortable taking some time for themselves? They feel comfortable speaking up when they, you know, are having a hard day or when they need help or, you know, support. So I certainly need to practice what I preach and I do. I do that with the people on my team as well. Um, I manage two people and I'm always very transparent with them about, you know what, I have to take my son to the doctor, so I'll be out for the next hour, things like that, so that they also feel comfortable doing the same things and know that it's okay. So transparency is really important, I think, and I, I try to do it with clients as well, although that's a little harder. Um, and yeah, just using my calendar to schedule the time in for myself. So I sometimes, of course, have to cancel it or move it. If I scheduled an exercise class or something and something comes up for work, I will change it. But, you know, I do try to put something like that into my calendar one to two times a week. And then on weekends, when my husband's not on call, you know, I same thing, I try to schedule an exercise class for myself or maybe lunch with a friend. Um, and, and he does a really good job of taking things off my plate because he knows it's tough to be home with the two kids. And so, you know, the second he comes home, he's like, okay, let's all go for a walk with the dog and mom's going to stay here and relax. Or he'll say to me, you go take the dog for a walk or, you know, you get out and do something. Um, so he always kind of takes over the second he gets home to help out. Um, he's always supportive of me, you know, going out to dinner with a friend or, you know, something like that, just so that I can get out and have some time. 
um, as a grown up and as a, a human, <laughs> not just a mom. So whenever he's not really on the clock, you're like, hey, bro, it's your turn. Here you go. Yeah, but I, I don't even really have to ask, which is amazing. And I think that's a huge thing is like even he just know he like first of all if i am having a difficult time i will say something and say look i really need a break but i also don't often have to do that like he just knows he knows that when he comes home like he's on dad duty immediately and you know and that often means taking things off my plate um you know he we also when my my oldest started school we have to provide we have to give him lunch every day right so he took responsibility for that he said i will be in charge of lunches and so he makes them the night before and it's not 100% of the time if he's working late and doesn't even get home till after bedtime you know i'll do it or if he's doing bedtime with the kids and i'm downstairs kind of cleaning up i'll make the lunch but basically he's the default parent for lunches and that's just something now i literally don't even have to think about and it's such a huge load off of me cuz i think of all the other stuff i make sure that they have you know clothes that fit for the for the season that we're in or the season coming up they have activities they're signed up for you know like all these little things that like are sort of invisible that you don't even realize i go in and i switch their clothes out and all these little invisible things um that I take on, like, you know, I think it's really helpful to say, okay, you are 100% responsible for, you know, certain activities or certain things that we know that he can manage. And that's really helpful. Yeah. It's an interesting thing. and something that I'm, I'm starting to notice in my own marriage and family situation. Like you obviously don't want to keep score or like keep a tally, you know, like who's doing what, but I think you just, it just naturally starts to happen. Like, oh, you know, I'm doing this. I know you're doing that. And so how do you make sure you're not doing too much of a tit for tat or too much of a, hey, let's make sure it's perfectly evenly split. Like, how do you handle that psychologically? Yeah, it's, that's not easy. I mean, there are certainly times when I feel a little resentful just because, you know, the nanny's out sick again, and I'm the one who has to cancel everything and move meetings around and it's super stressful. So and it's not his fault. He's working really hard. He's not out golfing. He's not out party. You know, he's he's working really hard and he has a stressful job, but it's still, it's not always easy to feel, to not feel little resentment. Um, I mean, we, we are pretty good communicators. So when that happens, we it's certainly something I bring up and and he's usually very responsive to it. And then he, he kind of like goes out of his way to show that he's appreciative, which I think too is sometimes it's like, I don't even mind doing all these extra things, but just like, show me, you know, show me that you notice it and that you appreciate it. You know? So it's not even like, I need you to take all the stuff off my plate. I'm doing it. I'm managing it, but just, just appreciate it. Just, and let me know that you notice it. And so he does a very good job with that. You know, he makes me coffee every single, I like iced coffee. So he'll make coffee every single night and put it in the fridge for me so that in the morning it's cold. And so there's like little things like that, that, um, that's cute. Yeah, there's things like that that like just shows that he cares, that he wants to do what even small things to kind of like make my mornings easier because I'm alone with the kids every morning. But it, it's not easy, and there are certainly times where you know we one of us might blow up at the other person just because some things have built up. Um, but again, just like talking about what needs to happen, what are the activities coming up, what are the things that we need to manage, and then you know who does it make sense to work on that? And usually it's me, but at least I know we're talking about it and he's thinking about it and he notices all the little things that I'm doing. Do you think that couples that are both working should strive to get close to a 50-50 split of sharing parenting responsibilities? Or do you think that it's okay if one parent is doing more than the other? I mean, I think if there's a, like in a perfect world, 
everything was equal, yeah, it'd be 50-50, but we don't live in a perfect world. I think, and and I don't think it's also really reasonable to be 50-50 all the time. Like, sometimes when I'm really busy at work or I have to travel for work, um, and so things would shift more onto him. And then there's other times where I'm less busy and I can be more flexible and it's not as big of a deal and he definitely can't be flexible. So I don't think it's, Sure. In a perfect world, 50-50 is great. I don't think that's realistic. And it's certainly not realistic all the time. Um, There are going to be times where one parent has to take on more than the other. I also have like aging parents who have their own health issues. And there have been times when I've had to go take care of them. We live, they live out of state. So there's things around that too, where he's had to pick up things because I'm also, you know, trying to help my parents. Um, So it's not, I I don't think it can be 50-50. It sort of depends on the you know, each person's job and, and the flexibility that they have or don't have. Yeah. It's probably also not a great barometer because it's easy to not be right. It's easy to not be 50, 50. I think it's hard to always know, you know, some people probably feel like, okay, the things I'm doing are harder than things you're doing. And like, how do you weight every task so that we know like, well, I'm doing these four things. You're doing those two, but those two are, are harder than these four. It's easy to start feeling it can get uneven. Yeah. And I think there's probably things that I do that I don't mind that he would hate doing and vice versa. There are things that like he does that I'm like, oh, I would never want to do that. So for there's certain like, yeah, it's sort of like the waiting thing. Like you were saying, there are certain things that I really don't like doing and there are certain things that he really doesn't like doing and the other one doesn't mind. So great. So that works out. Yeah. So 50, 50 is, is a dream goal. Like I like a lofty, like I can't even imagine that in a real world scenario because not every is like all things are not equal at all times. Yeah. My wife and I were just having this conversation about like doing things that you don't mind doing or that you like doing versus doing things that you don't like to do. I appreciate when she or, or anybody does something for me that I know that don't necessarily want to do, but they're really doing it just to help me out as opposed to, you know, anybody could do something that they like doing anyway. Right. <laughs> so I feel like it is nice to show that, that effort and like you said, your husband shows you that. So I, I'm sure you appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. I want to pivot into the public health topic and talk to you a little bit more about that. What do you think are some of the biggest impediments to employees getting healthier? Like what are the main reasons why employees aren't healthy? Do they get related to the workplace? Do you think it's just a human thing? Uh, I think it's both. Obviously, people are spending a little less time in the workplace in certain industries because they're working from home more. But certainly the environment of where they work plays a huge role in the ability to be healthy, right? There's this, um, I actually just did a talk last week on some trends around well-being. And one of the points that I made is that there's more of a focus on the employer and the environment that the employee is is, is in and less on the employee needing to keep themselves, him or herself healthy. It's like kind of like when a fish is swimming in a water bowl, like the fish doesn't realize that it's in water. It doesn't see the water. It just, the water just is, it just exists. And it's sort of like, that's kind of how your environment is, right? You don't necessarily like see all the things that are affecting your decisions or whether they're healthy or not healthy. Um, And so the best I say like the best well-being program is one that people don't even realize that they're in. So there's just like little things around behavioral economics, like, you know, keeping the healthy food out in the open eye level and the less healthy food in a cabinet that you have to open. Just even that you don't probably don't even realize you're going to be more likely to reach for the fruit that's standing out than go and search for something in a cabinet that you can't see. So 
certainly the environment plays a huge role. The culture of the organization plays a huge role. Like I was saying before, you know, making your employees feel like it's okay for them to take time for themselves. It's okay for them to do these activities that will keep them healthier physically, mentally. It's okay to ask for help. Um, I think mental health in the workplace has exploded or I guess negative mental, like bad mental health in the workplace has exploded. Um, you know, people are, are stressed out, they're burnt out, they're feeling like they're being pulled at all angles. And um, so do you have a workplace that allows employees to take time for themselves to find, to access help? Are there resources readily available and destigmatized so they're not afraid to ask for it? Um, those are all things that can help. And then, of course, you know, where you grow up, where you live, those necessarily, you know, an employer can't really affect some of those things, but all of that plays a role. Um, you know, you have to give people the resources and then give them the autonomy to actually use those resources. Are there any studies or data out there yet showing that people have gotten healthier since they haven't had to go to the office every day or that maybe it's a little too soon to show that? Um, I think that's a tough link to draw. So no, I haven't seen, short answer is no, I haven't seen studies specifically st saying that, but I will say there have been studies that have shown having flexibility improves mental health and well-being. So the fact that people can be home and can schedule an appointment or something that they need to do during the workday and kind of move work around that, or they can work if they need have to do something in the morning, then they can work a little bit. So flexibility, there's definitely been studies around showing that, that that can really have a huge impact on mental health and well-being. I mean, I'll say personally, I think it's helped me because even just making my own lunches, as opposed to going to an office all day and ordering with everybody else and you usually take out isn't as good as food that you're making. I think that's helped a lot with my own health. Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely pros. I mean, like I said too, you could you probably have time. You can like schedule in a walk with you can schedule in a walk or you can schedule in a, a 20 minute workout or whatever throughout your day, which maybe you wouldn't be able to do when you're in an office. On the flip side, going into an office, probably you're walking more and people who are home, you know, you're more sedentary and so you're not walking as much. So there's pros and cons. Um I think the flexibility helps with the mental health, but then also being home all the time can affect some people's mental health in terms of loneliness. And that's an issue too. So it depends on the person, obviously, but there's pros and cons to it. But I, I do just think having more autonomy over your schedule has been shown to improve mental health and mental well-being. So when you and I first met like eight or nine years ago, I was working at a company that was focused on physical health and getting people up and moving. And it was all about sitting as the new smoking. Then people started to talk more about mental health and that started to become a bigger and bigger topic in the workplace and certainly picked up a lot of steam during COVID when it was at the forefront of all of our minds. Now I'm actually at a fertility company and this is a really big workplace topic right now, people building families and, and women's health. What do you see as the trend going into the next two or three years as far as the big focus? Do you think there's still more ground to gain in the mental health world or is there another budding employee health topic that's going to grow? So mental health and well-being is still a, a very big uh, focus and I think will continue. Other things that are popping up though are definitely the fertility, infertility space. Um, I think there's now, with everyone being home during the pandemic, there has been a lot of focus on understanding that 
an employee isn't just someone who shows up at at work and then poof, they disappear. Like they have things going on outside of their lives. They have families. And so the the focus now for employers and particularly progressive employers is really now like caring for your employees. So it's like you want to attract, retain, and care for. And that includes families, right? And so fertility, infertility is a way to show that you care about your employees and the choices they want to make, whether to become a parent or not. Um, it's also a play towards DEI and B, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, because um, people can start, people of any backgrounds or, you know, family types can can expand their families if they want to, if in ways that they want. So there's also sort of a, that's sort of a play around that too. It's supporting people in becoming a family, however that looks, right? Heterosexual couples, same-sex couples, single people who want to be a parent, like often those resources. Um, and then, you know, there's also, if there's a, an infertility issue that takes a drastic toll on someone's mental health. And so having a resource that can potentially help that is also affecting someone's wellness and you, or well-being. And you don't even, it's not like you're sending out a survey and saying, Hey, are you depressed? Yes or no. I mean, no one's, you know, that you can't really do that. But if you are having issues with fertility, you have so much anxiety, you have depression, you're feeling, you know, beaten down. It's sort of, you're, you're putting this program in place and you're, you're helping someone's mental health and well-being without specifically saying this is for your mental health well-being. You know what I mean? You're kind of attacking it from another angle and it it's, has this byproduct. So you're helping this you're helping this issue and it has this byproduct of also helping someone's mental health health and well-being. In addition to the financial impact that it can have. I mean getting having infertility or treatments, it's all very expensive. Um occasionally insurance will cover it, often they won't. Um so you know, there's also this financial aspect to it. So there's like financial well-being too. So certainly fertility, infertility treatments um, and services are big. Caregiver support is big. And that really blossomed during the pandemic because everyone was home with their kids. Their kids were home from school. So it's like, how am I supposed to work with my kids running around here? Um, so caregiver support, whether it's for children, it also can be for elderly, for a spouse, you know, whoever, adults with special needs. Um, you know, having services so that people can can take care of their loved ones and then they will be able to work. You really can't work if you're caring for somebody else. Um, caregiver, being a caregiver is difficult. Um, it's taxing on your mental health. So that's another, you know, link to mental health and well-being. So um, so that's another really important topic is the the caregiver support as well. What do you think like seven years from now we'll be talking about that isn't really talked about now if you had to guess? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. I mean, I hope that all of these things will be more commonplace. Like right now, it's such a small percentage of employers that offer fertility and caregiving and all these things. So I hope that in, in seven years or whenever, you know, there it's not even going to be a conversation. Like in the same way that it's like, you don't even think about health insurance to your employer. That's just expected. Um, I, I hope that it's not even really a conversation because it's it's just sort of become more standard. Okay, so I, I, I do think uh, the answer is yes. I'm kind of ask, asking this question rhetorically, but do you think that the employer should be the one responsible for addressing these things, like mental health and employee health, as opposed to who else? Who else would just the individual? Yeah, the individual, or I don't know, the government, or just like, does it make sense for this to be the employer's responsibility to solve these problems? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's the employer alone. There's certainly, you know, 
there is a little bit of individual responsibility. There's certainly things that the government, whether local or federal, they can put things in place to support people as well. So it's not employers alone, but, you know, employees dedicate a lot of their time and energy towards work. And they're, you know, trying to help their companies be successful. They're, you know, helping the companies profit. And they are an extremely, like, without employees, without hardworking, smart employees, in, companies can't run. They, they can't run. So you it's, it's in, it's sort of a win-win. It's in the best interest of companies to take care of their employees. And then in return, employees will take care of their companies. And it's kind of this cyclical, like, I'm working for you and I need you to, like, I'm trying to help you as an organization and I need the organization to also help me as a human. Um, whether it's with family, whether it's with, you know, finding purpose in my career and my, like, what I'm trying to do. I think there's value in that too. Um, they don't, people don't want to feel like they're just this replaceable cog, like their employer doesn't care because then they're not going to work hard for you. They're not going to care. They're going to be more likely to leave and then you're going to have to hire and train. And so, you know, employers can't solve for everything, but they can certainly put resources in place to help their employees. It's this cyclical thing. Employees take care of the companies. Companies take care of employees. There are ways that employers can, there are things employers can do that the government can't do. I mean, they're seeing companies have access to their employees every single day. You know, the government's not going to reach out to each person individually every day. So there's certain things that they can do to help make people's lives better. And, and I think if you're wanting people to work hard for you and make your business profitable, then that's sort of the least that you can do. Honestly, it's really important to do that and take care of your people. I, I agree with that. Well said. All right. We're going to move into the final segment called Sarah's advice corner. I'm going to ask you for some advice on a few topics when you're ready. Sure. Okay, great. Well, first question would be what advice do you have for a parent who feels like the other parent isn't doing as much as they are and wants to make sure that there's a more equitable split. Yeah. So I'm not saying that that's I mean, your situation. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. We're going to have your husband on here, let him state his case as well. But just for people <laughs> that do feel that way, what advice would you give? Yeah. Well, first of all, like I said, there's no way everything can be 50-50 all the time. It's just not possible. Um, communication is the most important thing. You can't just put your head down and not mention anything, you're going to explode at certain points. So if if you feel like your partner can and should take on more, if you feel like you're taking on too much, you have to talk about it. There's, you know, you can't expect your partner to guess um, that you're struggling or that you need help or you need t- things taken off your plate. So certainly the first thing is is communication. And then after that, if there are certain tasks that can be delegated to each of you, and so you're the default for that specific task, like, you know, in our example, my husband is the default for making lunch for my son. Um, I think that is helpful too. And and then there's no questions. It's not like an ongoing conversation or argument. It's just like, you know, this is your job. And sure, if you can't do it one day, I, you know, I'll take over. But um, I, I'd say those are the probably the two things that have helped us the most. What advice would you give to somebody who has let work kind of take control and they haven't been focusing on their health enough? So I think there will be times when that happens and there's not much you can do, right? If you have a busy time in work and it's, you know, it is what it is. But I think when you can schedule little things, even if it's a short amount of time, 15, 20, 30 minutes, um, put it into your calendar so that you don't overbook yourself and that you can take time for yourself. I mean, it's, 
it's so important to do it, um, whether it's during, during the workday or, or on the weekend, you know, whenever it is, it doesn't have to be during the workday, obviously. During times that are slower and times when you can, I would just say, make sure you schedule things in to do whatever makes you feel happy. I mean, for me, I, I'm a social person. I like getting out and being active. Um, for some people, maybe it's reading a book or cooking or, you know, whatever it is. Um, it's really important to take that time. And especially if you are a manager or a leader in any way, doing that to lead by example and show that you're the people that work with you and work for you, that it's okay. I think that's even more important to do. Um, so it's not for yourself, it's for others as well. What is the best advice you've ever received? Um, I mean, I don't think it's applicable to this topic per se, but something that someone told me that I feel like comes up often is that bad news does not get better with time. And I remember there was something happening with work with, you know, something bad happened with a client. And I was like, I just, I don't want to have to tell them. I was so nervous about it. And some, and somebody I work with said, you know, bad news doesn't get better with time. So you're better off just saying it and getting, you know, cause it, it really only gets worse. So it's not really applicable to this, but like that actually is advice that I come back to often, both in my personal life. If something happens with a family member or a friend or, you know, and also at work, if you make a mistake at work, um, it's better to just sort of own up to it quickly and so that you can fix it. And I think people respect you for taking ownership um, and and moving on from it, you know, and, change, and learning from it. Yeah, I like that. What <laughs> advice would you give to your former self? I, th- I think I would say, like, don't sweat the small stuff. There are certain things that you in the moment feel like a huge deal. And and it, and sure, I think, okay, that's okay. It feels like a big deal right now, but just be able to tell yourself this will blow over. I won't think about this as much in a week, in a year, in three years, you know? So there are certain things where you're like, oh no, I'm not going to recover from this. Or, you know, you're embarrassed about something that happened or you, something you said or did, and it's nothing really lasts that long. And so just don't, don't sweat the small stuff and just, I don't know. I'd say, I feel like that was something I wish I could tell myself when I was younger. Like, this is just not that big of a deal. and Or at least if it is now, it won't be that big of a deal in a week or two or a year. You know, it's not something that's always going to be a big deal. All right, Sarah. Well, this has been a really great conversation. Where can listeners go to connect with you or learn more about you? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. So I think that's probably the best way. Um, Sarah Berkeley on LinkedIn. <laughs> uh, I would love to, yeah, reach out. Okay, great. I'll link to that in the show notes as well. Thanks. Sarah Berkeley, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is great.